And so this kind of rebellion continued for an extended amount of time until by the time I got to uh, high school, they had, they had just given up. Mm. And uh, I thought I was free. You know, I had, I had freed myself from that church kid identity. I thought that I would be fulfilled by the acceptance that my friends would give me at that point. And uh, I thought I had won. Hmm. When in reality, I had this God-shaped void in my heart the whole time that I wasn't aware of, but it was there. This is Culture at a Crossroads with David Mann. Joining me on the show this week, we have in studio Josh, Tim Sue, and this is a special show focused on the power of the cross. Josh, thanks for coming in and being willing to share the story of transformation that God's done in your life. Thanks for having me, David. It's really exciting. Well, it's exciting, and uh, part of your story is the way that you are, it's probably an understatement to say you're a sports fan. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say that's an understatement. It's kind of my life. Yeah, but you're like a, like your next level. Have you met anybody that's that can match you on sports knowledge? Uh, yeah, a couple people. I think I just specialize in the niche sports. Like you're, you're <laughs> not going to meet another Arizona Coyotes, Jacksonville Jaguars fan. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a bit of a Leafs hater. Uh, but can you imagine Austin Matthews staying on the Leafs if they lose this first round this year? <laughs> I, uh, I'm just counting down the days until he signs in Arizona. So we're, we're looking forward to that. <laughs> go, go back to his roots. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, Josh, I was planning to get to this a little bit later in our chat, but you brought up the Leafs. And uh, one of the things that you do right now, ironically, is you look after a collection of hockey memorabilia that includes a lot of Leaf stuff. But I think this goes to show how much of a sports fanatic you are and particularly the testing you had to go through to get this gig. Can you talk about that a bit? So I, I, I work for a lawyer who has a large collection that's a part of the Hockey Hall of Fame. My side gig right now is I work as kind of the curator for his collection. And the job interview was, here are 20 Toronto Maple Leafs from 1900 until present day. Can you name me a fact about every single one of them? And that was my life as a kid, just researching random hockey facts. And so... I was the only one as part of the part of the interview process that could accurately identify who these random leafs for from the last 100 years and he called me the next day and gave me the job because of that and that's that's another thing where God has so specifically ordained my love for sports to <laughs> to, to lead me somewhere in my career that it's a job that I didn't even think existed. Uh, he wants you to enjoy life, doesn't he? That's right. He he's so good. So he's how many so out of 20 did you get? I got 20 out of 20. Was, 20 out of 20? <laughs> that closest person got 10 out of 20. Oh my so. goodness. And you still don't like the Leafs. No, I, I hate the Leafs. Are you kidding me? Oh my goodness. I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's get to your roots. So what was your exposure like to Christianity? Where did this begin for you? So I spent my entire childhood in the church. Grew up in a very Eastern European rules-centric family. You know... Part of my childhood was really, it, it was mandatory to go to church every Sunday. Hmm. Um, it was mandatory to go to youth group every Wednesday night. And if my sister and I didn't go, you know, we would get grounded. That kind of was forced upon us at a very young age. And so we had this preconceived bias against God and against Christianity and the church because it, it wasn't something that we were necessarily invited to. It was something that we were told we must partake in. From a very young age, you know, I, I actually thought that God was real as a kid, 
but just the way that Christianity and God was presented to me, it, it wasn't something that I wanted to dive headfirst into. It, it wasn't something out of my own accord. It was something that was required in my family. Hmm. What did your childhood and, and youth years look like? So probably by the time I got to grade five or six or seven, I started getting referred to as a, a church kid mm-hmm. in elementary school. And uh, that to your was, demise. Yes, to my demise. And that was when I, I noticed I, I got treated a bit differently. I would get left out of things. I couldn't go and play the same video games as my friends. I, I couldn't go watch the same movies as my friends. They would uh, leave me out of things and they would say, oh, you know, Josh, we, we thought you were at church. And I, I hated it. Mm-hmm. I, it. It hurt me as a kid because I was watching friendships slowly and slowly diminish. And this is another thing that, you know, I blamed God for even though it wasn't him. But my preconceived notion as a, as a child back then was anything that was taking away from my friendships was bad. And mm. I saw this requirement to attend church on Sundays and Wednesdays as, you know, you have to be there. And I just couldn't see my friends for those two days of the week. So I, I viewed it very from a very negative aspect, at least. How did you cope with that requirement in your week and something you didn't really want to do? I didn't cope with it very well. There, there were times I remember being uh, dropped off at the front of the church and it was a youth night and uh, I would go and I would hide in the library instead of going into the youth room and I would, I would do my homework in the library. And I remember, uh, I remember one time uh, one of the pastors coming and finding me in the library. So I, uh, I upgraded my hiding spot to the washroom and started <laughs> started doing my math homework in one of the stalls and then I would I would leave the washroom at the end of the night without stepping foot in the youth room and then I'd go outside and I'd confront my parents and I'd say I just hid in the washroom for two hours what are you going to do about it you can't make me step foot in the youth room and so this kind of rebellion continued for an extended amount of time until by the time I got to uh, high school they had they had just given up and uh, I thought I was free. You know, I had I had freed myself from that church kid identity. I thought that I would be fulfilled by the acceptance that my friends would give me at that point. And uh, I thought I had won. Hmm. When in reality, I had this God-shaped void in my heart the whole time that I wasn't aware of, but it was there. And I thought that, you know, how my friends perceive me would fill that void. And ultimately it didn't, but that was kind of the turning point there where, I mean, by the time I got to high school, I wasn't going to church whatsoever. Mm. There was no, there was no aspect of God left in my life whatsoever. And from your recollection in those years, did you feel like you were perceived from a more popular or positive light from your friends? Once I could make myself available to hang out with them more, once I could then play the same video games as them. And then once I wasn't forced to go to church anymore and I had a bit more freedom in high school. You know, I, all those things that I had been held back from, from my own good, I just dove headfirst in because it made me feel accepted and I could finally do those things that all of my other friends were doing finally. Mm. Where did those things lead you? How did that uh, take you? Yeah, Just completely empty back to the point of, you know, that God shaped hole in my heart as a, as a 15 year old, you're not cognitively thinking or self-aware really at that point that it is a god-shaped hole and at that point i i still wanted nothing to do with god josh talk to me about uh your exchanges with girls you're in high school 
you know, I've got to imagine that testosterone is starting <laughs> to boom a little bit and you're becoming aware of some beauty in the air. Sure. How did, how did that go down? Yeah. So I had, I had awful acne. Mm. <laughs> it was pretty bad in high school. You know, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't even look a girl in the eyes. It was, mm. uh, I would watch people not maybe judge isn't the right word, but just, I was perceived differently. Definitely just because of how, how bad it was. And it killed me as a 15 year old. Like it, it totally inhibited my ability to socialize. I wouldn't necessarily go out in public as much as I once would. I wouldn't go to after school things. I would go home during lunch, during high school, instead of hanging out in the calf cause I didn't want anyone to see me. And out of that, well, came the inability to talk to girls all through high school. <laughs> Whereas I saw my friends and they're the, they're the cool kids. Like they're, they're going to parties. Mm. They're, they're hooking up with girls. They're getting girlfriends like right away. And here I am. And I, I can't even look a girl in the face, let alone talk to her. Mm. You've got this God shaped void in your life. You leave high school and you eventually go off to university. How do you try to fill it there? Once again, it was, it was just being filled with the people that surrounded me and trying to live up to their expectations. And one of the examples I, I, I've given in the past is like, I was not a party kid whatsoever, like deep, deep down, even though I wanted nothing to do with God, I, I hated alcohol. I, I hated beer. I couldn't stand the taste of it, but all of my roommates were doing it and all my buddies were doing it. And it was just, it was necessary in order to maintain the image. If you didn't go to the bars twice a week, you were soft. I, I needed their acceptance because I still had that God-shaped void in my life and I craved any type of acceptance that I could get and so I started doing things that I, I never would have done in the past I started going to bars I started drinking started experimenting with weed gambling anything that once again fulfilled the people that surrounded me I just dove headfirst into because I thought it would fulfill me too and uh, I, I remember one time specifically the first time I I brought a girl home from the bar my roommates gave me a standing ovation. Hmm. You're sitting there and that's your first experience with it. And these guys surrounding you, they accept you now. You're, you're one of them. And that hmm. temporarily at least filled my void. But looking back now, I realize that that's just a temporary thing. And I had to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the perversion because the first time wouldn't fulfill me completely. So I needed to continually go back to that same well. Josh, would there have been a, a moment in university where you realized you'd hit a, a pretty deep bottom? You know, the, the turning point came, I had hid this for years and I had lived two lives. I had lived one life, nine to five at my internship or at my job where I was okay. And then I'd go home and just do stupid stuff. And, and the rock bottom point came one night specifically where I ended up coming clean to my mom. Okay. And uh, one of the moments specifically was just hitting rock bottom, like losing all the money that I had and, and being dead broke at one point in university. I had, mm. I had no one else left to turn to because I had kept up this lie to so many people that I just came clean to my mom about everything, the, the gambling, the weed, the, the partying, that entire lifestyle. And it just all came out in one shot. And God used that moment specifically as, as a turning point for my relationship with her. And he's, he's brought it to a point where 
my relationship with my mom is the best it's ever been. And that's really something that only God could bring about stemming from my perceptions of her during my childhood. And she was there for me. I wouldn't be here today without her support. And even though at that time when I came clean to her, there wasn't that connection that God was a part of it. She showed me love that once again, I didn't deserve. Hmm. And the debt was bad. Oh yeah. Yeah. The gambling debt was really bad. A ridiculous amount that took years to pay off. When you're in an addiction, you're not making any conscious decisions really. You're just thinking, how am I going to get my next fix? How am I going to get that next instant gratification? And so you're, you're using methods in order to get that next fix. And for me, it was just borrowing money mm-hmm. and it added up and it added up and it added up. And I, and I gave this, this story to the people in my life that I, I lied to them for years. Um, and that finally stopped with coming clean to my mom. So then what happens in your life? You said that God wasn't yet in the equation, but your mom and you that brought some helpful healing that would lead you to eventually the Lord. Yeah. Even after, you know, the, the gambling and some of the other stuff had stopped, I I still wasn't fulfilled. So I I was still trying to find something that would fill that God-shaped void. And there was a girl that I thought would fill that God-shaped void. And when it didn't work out, that was the breaking point for me that I thought I had finally found something that would fulfill me for the rest of my life. And that was the moment I realized that I wasn't in control. I had spent my whole life thinking that, you know, I I can manipulate certain situations to get the outcome that I wanted. And I was presented with a situation that I had no control over. And that's what really brought me to my knees in in a place of pain and just needing God. I dove headfirst finally into the first good thing in my life, which was just giving my life to him and confessing my, my sins. And from the past 10 years of my life, specifically all of those things that I had put ahead of him, he totally met me. He met me in my pain. I had, I had so many questions over the next few months, but he, he brought specific people into my life to answer, um, theological questions, to answer spiritual questions that I had. But it was the first time that I I trusted someone other than myself and it, it was trusting God for the first time. And what did that feel like? Life-changing, a peace that I didn't deserve, a weight lifted off my shoulders. It was realizing, you know, hey, uh, there's, there's someone above my authority here. And here we are today. We touched on the fact that you have an interest in sports. You went to school for sports management. You now work in the field of sports and uh, even within your workplace, the radical transformation that you've experienced, you're having a tough time keeping this under a lamp. Mm-hmm. It's funny looking back, like God's timing is so perfect. And he He brought together the height of my sports career, which I'm not right now working for a pro sports league, but he timed that perfectly with coming to Christ. And these changes in my life didn't start until I asked him. And he started opening up doors in, in my pro sports career that I, I never would have imagined as a kid. You know, as a kid, I, I just thought like it was going to be on my own terms, my sports career. And there's so many parts of my story in my past that once again should have had permanent consequences that I, I shouldn't be working in sports right now. And God protected my career and he showed me grace that I didn't deserve in the slightest. And he's opened doors and, and brought people into my life specifically that have helped further along my career. 
And uh, one of the things that came out of that was the league that I work for right now. We are the really only league in Canada right now that that doesn't have a a chaplaincy program. Mm. And that was something that God placed on my heart and a couple of the other believers in the office on their hearts as well as to trying to investigate a way of bringing a chaplaincy program to our league. And, you know, if, if you had told me where I was at in life two or three years ago that I'd be involved in, in trying to bring a chaplaincy program to a pro sports league, I'd, I tell you, you're nuts. Mm. That, that doesn't happen. But that's how I know it's God. Like, that's, that's truly how I know that this is, this is God's plan. And this is him at work. And I, I shouldn't be here right now. Like I, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't have the privilege of working where I work right now. I shouldn't have the privilege of being at peace with my life right now. And that's really where God just showed me his infinite grace that I, I didn't deserve in the slightest. Wow. There's a, a beautiful story in the Bible of Jesus with this woman who pours oil on his feet and those around him are questioning why she's doing this. And uh, he says, those who forgive little love little. And you've been forgiven a lot. And you realize that. We all have. But you realize it. Mm-hmm. And you're letting that take you wherever you are to love God. And that unconditional love is leading you to this unconditional obedience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the only reason I have my career is because of God, um, there, there's really no other reason. I mean, he protected me through so many things and, and opened doors in so many specific ways that led me to where I am now. So I know that's my purpose in life is to to glorify God through my career, which he has so specifically brought about to talk to people at my workplace about God and just to share how he's changed my life and that he wants to change all of our lives. He, he wants that personal relationship with all of us. Mm. Josh, what would you say to someone listening who's maybe drinking from some of the same wells that you have in your past? How would you challenge them to look towards the hope that God can offer them. The first thing that I'd say to myself, you know, five or 10 years ago is, is this actually where you want to be? Do you actually want to change? Do you actually want to get to a better place or are you content with just still dragging your feet along in life? Are you content with going back to the same sources of instant gratification that are never going to ultimately fulfill you? And it would just be an, it would be an honest question first, but then it would be, you know, God wants to be a part of your story and he wants to make it his story. And there, there's people in all of our lives that, um, God has placed very specifically that we can reach out to. And I wish I, I had talked to someone way earlier in my, in my depths of depravity, because I mean, it, it probably wouldn't have gotten to a point of how bad it did. But for me, that was my mom. That that was the first person that I really told about anything. I had hid my lifestyle for years before that. And uh, he used that conversation really. Wow. What would be a verse that you might uh, come back to that you've seen as a, a real anchor to remind you of this? Yep. You know, um, one of the things that has really strengthened my faith over the last year specifically has been uh, just going down an apologetics rabbit hole. Okay. And so apologetics, defending the faith. Of course. And you know, like I, I, my career is totally in the secular world. My career is interacting with people who 
99% of them have different beliefs than I do. And being able to portray myself in an authentic way, um, not being afraid to talk about God in my workplace, my exposure to apologetics over the last year has just totally strengthened that. And I mean, we, we live in a society now where, you know, atheists are asking the same questions for the last 150 years. They're not coming up with any new questions. And there's, there's these 10 or 30 second answers that we can give them that I think we should be prepared as, as Christians. And I just, one of my favorite stories is how Nabil Qureshi came to know the Lord. And he spent the first, I don't know how long it was, but the first 20 or so odd years of his life just steamrolling Christians and their beliefs. And it wasn't until David Wood stood up to him and shared the gospel and had answers prepared for him that led to Nabil becoming a Christian himself. Mm. And, you know, if we can have that impact on people just with the, not necessarily that we're going to convert them right there in the first 10 seconds, but if we can just open the door to God's love and have these logical answers prepared, our God is a God of logic. He is a God of communication and relationship. And so the, the verse that really resonates with me that I know is a pretty cliche apologetics verse, but it, it works for me in both ways. It's it's First Peter 3.15, um, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And for me, that's that's in two parts. For The first part is, you know, I, I look back at where I was a couple of years ago. I, I don't deserve to have the hope that I have right now. I don't deserve to be fully fulfilled. I, I don't deserve to be at peace. And yet I, I've got this story that I can tell people, like, it doesn't matter how how deep your rock bottom is. God, God is there anyways, and he wants that relationship with you. And the second part of that is when it comes to apologetics specifically, like once again, God is a God of logic, that there are these logical arguments for the existence of God. There's these logical arguments for um, his, his infinite power, all of that. And that's something that has really uh, motivated me um, in order to dive deeper into, you know, what are these, what are these conversations that I can have at my workplace that they're not going to offend anyone? But at the same time, they can at least open the door as to, hey, we're not just here randomly. Like, we didn't just spring into existence out of nothing. There's someone who created us and that someone wants a relationship with us as well. Awesome. We've been in conversation with Josh Timsu as he's shared the power of the cross in his life, of a God who loved him so much. And he's seen that in the midst of, of where he's been in his life. And I hope you find encouragement in the story. Josh, thanks for being in the studio today. Thanks for having me, David. Next time on Culture at a Crossroads. It was announced officially earlier this year that the proposed expansion to MAID, medical assistance in dying, will be postponed until next year. This would include for those who are mentally unstable. Reaction to this has spread right across the country. And one of the voices that we need to learn from as we navigate the litigation of it all is the executive director of the Christian Legal Fellowship, Derek Ross. Derek will be rejoining me in conversation as he explains where we're at in the study that's being done, as well as how the conversation around MAID has changed over the past seven years. The Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, they issued a very powerful statement last year. Um, and they said, when considering MAID, 
in the context of someone who is not dying as a result of their condition, such as a mental disorder alone, we are talking about suicide. Thanks for listening today. A reminder that you can access any of our episodes when you head to the Culture at a Crossroads podcast. We do invite you back next week as we once again explore the intersection of faith and culture in Canada, helping to better equip you in following Jesus. Jesus.